because the lines are a little bit blurred, all I knew looking at this was, well, I don't look like that. And I wish I looked like that. And therefore, because I don't look like that, my appearance is somehow wrong or it's something that I need to change. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone watching the show that wants to be a guest, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach us at our email, oplpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and just a quick reminder, if you are watching this on YouTube, uh, we also have a ton of episodes that aren't on YouTube that are on podcast platforms, so Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. So you can go check out our entire backlog of episodes from even before we started posting on YouTube. And if you're just listening on audio, uh, we also have a YouTube channel, just youtube.com slash other people's lives. So you could check that out. We have the visuals of us actually on screen having these conversations. So just a heads up for you guys. But today we are speaking with a woman who reached out to discuss body dysmorphic disorder. It's a mental health disorder in which a person can't stop thinking about their perceived defects and flaws uh, that are typically minor or non-existent. And in her email, our guest wrote, I have no concept of what my appearance actually is. Every day, it seems like my body looks wildly different from the day before. It's very distressing to go about life, never sure how you appear to others. So before we get into this conversation, uh, we of course have our guest on the line and we want to thank you for coming on today and sharing this super personal journey and insight with us. Hi guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, totally. So can you, I guess to kick this off, um, just bring us back to your earliest memory um, where maybe you started to realize that you were having, I guess, this particular relationship with your self-image, your body, and kind of started to understand some of the signs and symptoms of uh, body dysmorphic disorder. Yeah, absolutely. So it's an interesting thing because I wasn't officially diagnosed until quite recently in the past couple of years, but I can remember signs from as early as being eight or nine years old in elementary school and just kind of always feeling like I was way different in appearance from everyone else in my class, that I was way bigger, that there was something about me that was somehow off. And I went through most of my childhood feeling like that was a totally accurate perception and that I was very much correct in every way that I thought about myself. And it wasn't until I had more recent conversations where people who knew me back then would tell me that, no, you know, there was nothing about you that was particularly different in terms of appearance. You know, you were just like any other kid, which is so not how I remember growing up. So that's kind of what led me to learn more about um, body dysmorphic disorder and talk to it with therapists and that sort of thing, because it was just kind of being met with the idea that the reality that I was going through was not what other people were seeing. Yeah. I was going to ask if there were any sort of, uh, you know, periods of time where you could point out where, you know, something had happened or maybe a comment that, you know, a classmate had made or a parent or friend or whatever. Um, But you're, saying that wasn't necessarily your experience. It was just something that has always been present in your life. Yeah. So it's one of these things where I feel like growing up, I was kind of told by 
not just my family, but by doctors and that sort of thing, that I was bigger than other kids my age and that that was something I should be aware of. This was something that I feel like I have memories of and I feel like I was going through it. And I can remember wearing clothes as a child and feeling uncomfortable in them because I didn't like how I looked and all of that. And just as an adult recounting these experiences and being told that, you don't know, no, that's not exactly what happened. You know, you, you were an average size and all of that. And um, just kind of grappling with that and coming to terms with, but that's so not how I saw myself, you know? So growing up and starting to kind of have these feelings, uh, how did it, I guess, escalate, you could say into you getting older kind of going through school, um, you know, just with your social life and everything, what were, I guess, some of the symptoms that you began to suffer from? For sure. Yeah. I remember as I was growing up from as early as like I was saying as eight or nine, I felt very sort of unsatisfied with my appearance. And I think that's something that a lot of people go through, not liking how they look entirely. So it didn't really raise any huge red flags for myself or anyone around me. But then as I kind of went into adolescence, things got more severe and I basically had the very fatalistic approach of I'm never going to like my appearance. There's something about me that's just horrible and how I look and I'm just stuck like this. And that kind of continued after high school into my undergraduate studies. And it actually ended up leading, I think, to the development of, um, I had anorexia for about three years. So I think that's what led to that, where I felt like my body is so wrong and it's so off, I have to do something to um, quote unquote fix it. And um, that led to a lot of symptoms that you hear about with body dysmorphic disorder, where I was constantly body checking. So that can take different forms for some people. But for me, it was a lot of just weighing myself constantly every day, looking in mirrors. Oh my gosh, I can't even, I can't even think about how much time I've spent just in front of mirrors Hmm. every single day being like, well, this looks different than yesterday and then waking up the next morning and saying okay well this looks different when in reality you know your body's not changing that rapidly and that dramatically but it it really did feel and look like it does and it still does to a degree and it's difficult because I have the awareness of well this perception can't be accurate and yet it does feel so real and during that time where you were dealing with uh, anorexia um, did you try to, you know, seek any help? Or is there any sort of like therapy that you had started? Yeah, for sure. So I've, I've been in and out in a few different um, therapeutic settings for anorexia. And when I was at my most unhealthy, I was actually in a residential setting. So there was a lot of therapeutic work that was done there. And a lot of it was around body dysmorphic disorder and kind of I've had a lot of therapists tell me, including my current therapist, that I have to come to terms with the fact that I'll never have a 100% accurate idea of what I look like because it'll always be kind of marred by body dysmorphic disorder. And coming to terms with that is a very difficult experience because 
you kind of have to accept the fact that what you see is not accurate and what you see and what you feel even to a degree is not necessarily the truth. Um, which, like I said, my email is really sort of distressing because you want to be able to trust your own judgments. It is. Uh, it's crazy to think about that, how we will almost never see ourselves the way others perceive us. But we think that we have such a grasp on how we're perceived. And you touched on it before, but I think it's so common. I think a lot of people listening, uh, even if they may never be diagnosed with BDD or it won't kind of get to that extreme, there's something overwhelmingly universal about just having, I guess, an unhealthy relationship with our own bodies and appearances whether it's a pursuit of perfection that doesn't exist or just kind of being hypercritical of things we perceive as flaws that others probably aren't even noticing. I think that is just such a common experience for so many people. I know for me personally, I, I mean, I feel like we've even had conversations about this, Joe, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think it's, and I, you know, the interesting, interesting thing about this episode is that I think a lot more people deal with it than we know. Like I'm, I'm, I know a handful of people that deal with some degree of body dysmorphia. So it is something that is pretty common and, um, maybe even becoming even more common as time goes on. I mean, when you, uh, kind of add in the, the variable of social media and there's essentially another mirror around where you're constantly comparing yourself now to other people and you have to kind of battle your own sort of uh, view of yourself as well um, in the mirror. And then you have that as well. Like I, I assume that, you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but does that uh, sort of, I guess, act as a catalyst in this whole thing as well, like with social media and comparing yourselves to others, or is it really just you in the mirror? Oh, absolutely. I think that social media in particular, um, in regards to when I was at my lowest in anorexia really did have an impact and make my body dysmorphic disorder worse because I would see all of these people on Instagram or whatever. And, you know, maybe some of those are accurate representations of how they look. Maybe they're not. Who knows with filters and editing and all of that. But because the lines are a little bit blurred, all I knew looking at this was, well, I don't look like that. And I wish I looked like that. And therefore, because I don't look like that, my appearance is somehow wrong or it's something that I need to change. Um, and that kind of further drives the obsession. And I think that social media has played an interesting role in how people react to body dysmorphia in general, because I think that awareness is becoming more of a thing, which is good because I think it's leading to people to kind of you know, consider their relationship with their appearance and how they feel about it. But it's also kind of an interesting thing because, like I was mentioning earlier, there's the question of what is just general insecurity around appearance and then what is actually body dysmorphic disorder? Because, like I was saying, I think we all have days where we're insecure about how we look and, you know, maybe we wish that certain things were a little bit different. But other than that, you're able to go about your day and focus on other things. Whereas with body dysmorphic disorder, it can be so consuming where people, I know that in some of my worst moments, I've been out with groups of friends and I'm there physically, but mentally I'm completely gone. I'm just thinking about 
how horrible I must look and how I just want to sort of hide within myself and get out of public as soon as possible because of how I look. And yeah. So, I was, I was going to ask like where that line is, because if that is, if that is very universal for people to have a negative relationship with their appearance at times or, you know, put themselves down almost. But I, it seems like that line is where it becomes so crippling that you almost can't be present in anything else. And I assume that that would begin to affect your social life, relationships. And uh, you just started touching on that. But has that been the case for you where it's made it difficult to socialize or even romantic relationships or anything like that? Oh, it definitely has. And it's something that is so difficult because I have shared with my friends and um, my ex-boyfriend as well all of my struggles with by dysmorphia and I've talked about problems I've had with my appearance and all of that and it becomes so frustrating to them because I'm expressing the same concerns over and over and their concerns things that they can't see or that they don't also witness and so it gets to a point for them where they're trying to be supportive they're trying to be reassuring but when they're having to repeatedly address these concerns that they don't even see, it becomes exhausting. And it's so difficult because I can totally empathize with that exhaustion. And yet the concerns are still there and that obsession mm. is still there. So it kind of becomes a question of, I want to share it with you and I want to make sure that you know how I feel because you're close to me. But at the same time, I don't want to overload you with this obsession that I'm dealing with. And I guess on the road to recovery from this, what, what exactly, uh, what exactly helps? Like, I, I know you said you were in therapy, um, but is there any sort of thing specifically that you found super helpful? Yeah. So one thing that's interesting is that if you look at the DSM and all of that, body dysmorphic disorder is actually grouped in with a lot of subsets of OCD. And um, I know that you guys have talked to some people who have dealt with OCD before. So there's a lot of similarities. So with body dysmorphic disorder, like I was saying, a big thing is body checking. So for me, that's weighing myself a lot. That's measuring certain parts of my body and all of that. And one of the ways that you kind of go through treatment is to just stop that. Because every time you engage in those behaviors, you're kind of making it worse, if that makes sense. Because you'll feel better in that moment, but then those concerns about your appearance come back and then you have to keep doing the behavior to try to make them go away. And it's just an awful cycle. So in some ways, you kind of have to go through very drastic measures to cut yourself off. Um, I know that my, I live with my parents. My mom took the scale and hit it, which I was so angry at first because I couldn't weigh myself and participate in like that behavior of finding out like if I weight had changed, if I had gotten bigger or anything like that. But it really kind of becomes a question of, well, if that hadn't happened, then are you ever going to stop? Like where, where does it mm -hmm. end really? Um, so I know that that's a big way that people sort of pursue recovery is by trying to cut out these behaviors as much as possible. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you said that. I actually had that written down as a question. Is this a form of OCD? Because it seems like a lot of crossover similarities with thought patterns, behaviors that are, you know, extremely hard to break out of, you know, whether it's like a, a ritual, like checking in the mirror. And it's, uh, 
I actually looked up some symptoms and it's interesting, like just to get a little personal for a second. And I feel like Joe has seen this. I see constantly exercising as one of these. And I have found in my life that I will relate my next exercise to like what I'm eating that day or like, oh, I cheated or, oh, I had a bagel this morning. So that tacks on another mile that I might run that day. And I know in my mind how unhealthy it is to have those two things coincide. Um, but I, I just think that's, you know, again, an example where people might not even realize that they have some of these habits or patterns um, in relationship to, you know, how they view themselves and their body. And, you know, just uh, awareness can really help before things start to spiral out of control. Yeah, absolutely. And it's difficult because things become so muddy. Like there, I think there are so many aspects of body dysmorphia that have become normalized in our culture like there are so many women I know that will not leave the house without putting makeup on and it kind of becomes a question of okay well you feel more confident in makeup but why why is that do you think that there's something wrong with how you look without makeup you know but that's such a common phenomenon so I think that it doesn't get associated with body dysmorphic disorder as much and like you were saying I think that a lot of culture surrounding fitness and the gym is related to that where it's the idea of if you eat more that's something bad and therefore you have to compensate for it mm. um so yeah it, it's kind of an interesting connection between like ocd and then body dysmorphic disorder as part of ocd but then its own thing and then if it gets related to weight and size and all of that it's connection to eating disorders so it's very interesting trying to see um where the lines are, if there are any. And um, where exactly are you at right now in your journey with all of this? Yeah, so I, interesting that you mention it because I am in a place, um, I've gone through just a lot of life changes recently. So I have um, put on weight and that's been difficult. So I've been dealing with that with my therapist. And um, like I said, I don't have access to a scale right now. So it's kind of put me at a place where I can't engage with those, you know, behaviors of body dysmorphia that I used to. And so I've kind of been really forced to just sit in those feelings of what it's like to be in this body and to look like this and um, kind of ask myself, where do I want to go from here? And so um, it's kind of been a journey of opposite action in that I might say in my head that I don't want to go out because I feel like I don't look good and yet forcing myself to go out anyway because if I stay in then I'm only kind of giving in to those compulsions and and feeding that obsession more so it's just kind of a question of I think self-awareness and then being able to challenge those knee-jerk reactions of I have to address this obsession and I have to do X and Y to make sure that my appearance is acceptable mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, that's um, extremely helpful, I think, for a lot of people to hear. And also, you're just so well-spoken on this subject and it just seems very clear how much work you've likely been doing, you know, on yourself um, in therapy uh, to just, you know, enhance your self-awareness, kind of understand some of the tools and techniques to continue fighting this. Um, but seriously, like just, wow, it just, it, it really shows like you're really well-spoken on all of this. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of, a lot of therapy, a lot of reading, all of that good stuff to try to um, get to the root of where this obsession's coming from. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, I think that what's scary and we kind of touched on it before with social media, it's just at this point now, there's just too many studies that show a rise of things like depression, suicide, eating disorders, body dysmorphia that so directly coincides with the rise in popularity of social media. And it's, I don't know if I have a point other than just saying it's so scary to know that we as a society that so many people are just sort of willingly stepping into this danger zone, essentially that without the right tools, without the right self-awareness, um, or confidence or just understanding of the dangers and the effects, just how many people, uh, can be severely affected just from what seems like harmless scrolls where they're comparing themselves to others, seeing bodies, filters, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, and that's, it's just really scary to think about something I've been thinking about a lot more. I have a three month old daughter. It's terrifying. I want to never give her a phone. Um, and I don't know how we combat this. I don't know how we find a way to lower, you know, the, the increase of, of these things that are clearly stemming from social media. Right. Yeah. I know for myself when sort of starting recovery from anorexia and coming to terms with the fact that I had body dysmorphic disorder and all of that, one thing that I immediately had to do was kind of do a deep clean of all of my social media and go through all of the posts that I was liking and all of the accounts I was following and think, okay, how is this making me feel when I see this content? And kind of realizing that a lot of the content I was following, I was just kind of using to make myself feel worse about my appearance and using it sort of as sadistic motivation in a way to make myself uh, feel like more compelled towards exercise or dieting or whatever to change my appearance. And so kind of having that awareness. And I think also now at the place where I am in sort of recovery and grappling with all of this, just kind of looking at content online with a grain of salt to a degree and recognizing that it is incredibly curated and that people are for the most part posting what they want to post. And so thinking about that and knowing that the person that you're looking at that you think has this perfect appearance and all of that they might be struggling with the same sort of insecurities that you have about your appearance and they might like another person and how they look and so you know kind of realizing that at the end of the day it sounds so cliche but nobody's perfect and as much as we want to be perfect you know that's not the reality and I think there's something kind of beautiful in that the fact that you know we're all kind of in this together if that makes sense yeah absolutely and I think I think deep down everyone kind of realizes that something like Instagram is a sham you know like we know that people don't look like this and we know that there's a filter and there's a, a separate app that you threw this picture into to change your skin tone and make your teeth whiter or, or do whatever. Uh, and then it was posted like deep down, we all know that, but we don't think about it because the knee jerk reaction is to just compare yourself immediately to this photo and go, wow, I can't even look like that without all of these things, these filters, blah, 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 blah. Like it's, I feel like it's very damaging regardless if you suffer from any sort of disorder or not. I think that it's like pretty 
pretty bad. Um, but for, you know, in your position and the experience that you have with this, um, do you have any sort of advice for, for anyone who may be listening that could possibly be going through a, a similar thing, but hasn't been, you know, to therapy or diagnosed with it? Yeah. So I guess what I'll say first is just that I truly believe that we're all our worst critics, um, in general, but especially in terms of appearance. And if, even if you don't have body dysmorphic disorder, if there's something about your appearance that you're fixating on that you don't think looks good, I swear that people around you who love you, who care about you, that's not what they're focusing on. There was a tool we used in recovery um, back when I was in residential treatment where we would list qualities we liked about our friends and appearance was never something that came up. You know, it was always qualities about how they are as a person. And that's what people really care about. So just keeping that as a reminder. And then if you do find yourself fixating on appearance a lot and it is really hindering your daily life, I recommend that you kind of explore that a little bit more, whether that be through therapy or just kind of taking stock within yourself why the appearance is so important to you and and the connection that has with your self-worth. Because I think that's aided me a lot sort of as I've navigated this. That's super insightful. And I am curious, I have one more question because I think you can offer a really interesting perspective on this, uh, just because you've been so helpful in talking through kind of the warning signs and the advice that you just gave. But is there anything in particular that you would say to any parents listening uh, in terms of things that they should look out for or ways to maybe approach this topic if they feel necessary with their children? I think the number one piece of advice that comes to mind is stop commenting on your children's appearance because I can remember things that adults, including my parents, said to me back when I was six, seven, and I'm 24 now. So if those things stuck with me for that time, I can imagine that other people have had the same experience where they can remember being called ugly or being called fat or getting insulted in that way. So I would just say that, you know, if your kid's happy, if your kid is healthy and, you know, they're going about life, there's no need to bring attention to their appearance and and draw that fixation to how people look when there's so much more value to a person than that. Yeah. Yeah. Even extreme positivity, even you're the most beautiful person in the world. You're perfect. Like setting up standards that might be impossible to sustain over time as well, I think could be just as damaging. And that's uh, definitely a really, really good note. For sure. Yeah. Even if it becomes extremely positive, like you said, I think that can become your identity to a degree, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. when you're younger. And then if God forbid that changes, like I know people when they age, especially when you become a teen, you, you know, your appearance changes. And if you're not that anymore, that can be so distressing. So yeah, just keep, keep your comments on appearance to a minimum, I would say, or better yet, just, you know, focus on your kids' strengths. What are they good at at school? What do they like to do? I think that's much more productive. Yeah. Also, not for nothing, if your kid is six or seven and there's something wrong with their appearance, 100% your fault as a parent, I feel like. <laughs> like you're buying their clothes and feeding them. Like I don't really get that. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for you know this this whole episode. I think that it's going to resonate with a lot of people. And I, I, I believe that it's going to help a lot of people as well, kind of 
you know, maybe identify with what you're talking about and then hearing your experience and knowing that you're still going through it and you're getting better and, you know, you're doing therapy and things that, um, you know, are helping you along the way. Um, so yeah, we appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us and, uh, sharing. Thank you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to get to talk about it. And I'm, I'm glad that there are more opportunities to talk about it now, because I think that even like five or 10 years ago, it was such a mysterious sort of subject for a lot of people. So I'm glad it's coming more into the public eye. Yeah, same here. So thank you so much again and, uh, best of luck with everything. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. If you guys are looking for a gift for the holidays, maybe even a stocking stuffer, we want to remind you about our new hot sauce that we came out with. It's Everything Bagel Hot Sauce. It's our new company, Secret Handshake Food Co., we're biased, but this is delicious. It honestly goes on everything. Sandwiches, chicken, eggs, breakfast sandwiches, forget about it. You can put it on actual bagels, pizza. It's super delicious. We're super happy with how this product came out. So if there's any hot sauce lovers in your life or everything bagel flavor lovers, uh, definitely, definitely try this. It makes a great gift fits right in the stocking and the uh, feedback has been amazing so far. It's doing better than we even expected since we launched this. So we thank you guys for all the support. If you have tried this, uh, purchased it. I know a bunch of you guys have purchased multiple bottles because now you're addicted to it, uh, which was our plan all along. But just a reminder, quick gift this holidays for the hot sauce or foodie in your life everything bagel hot sauce you can head over to heatonist.com that's heatonist.com and uh, you could just search everything bagel hot sauce on there it'll come up it's 12 bucks uh, or you can head over to secrethandshake.shop and that will direct you to the page to buy it as well yeah i think that this episode is uh like I said, super important. I think that a lot of people sort of deal with this. I, I know a couple of people that, um, you know, either and not, maybe not have been diagnosed. Some, some have been diagnosed, but definitely people who deal with things that are very similar to what she's talking about, where they see themselves as a certain way and they can't help it. And even if they're super in shape, they still feel like, Oh, I'm just having like a bad day. You know, as far as my relationship with myself, when I look in the mirror, I'm just like not seeing, you know, something good, you know, and it's sad because, you know, for in my position where I am friends with someone like this, what can you do other than just try to, you know, it, it, it's sort of out of your control. You feel helpless. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's upsetting to know that like, you can't help someone with something like that. It's, it's very difficult to deal with, you know, for everyone in, in, involved like, because you, you want to help someone, but they can't help. And it has to be, it has to come from them. And sometimes that's really hard for people. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I think that social media has like charged this the fuck up and has made it, you know, worse for people or, or has introduced the idea of comparing their bodies and them thinking of yourself as not good enough. Um, I think that social media has, you know, done that to a certain degree. Um, and now oh, it's totally. just like rampant. 
It is. It's like, how, how does that get turned back? And, and like the solution sounds easy, but it's so difficult. But I just love what she said at the end about it's, it's about not tying your self-worth to things like appearance or it's even like in business or anything. Like if you tie your worth as a person to your achievements or to the outcomes of success, like then you are bound to, we're all bound to fail at some point. And then your whole identity, your whole self-worth is caught up in this thing that is sort of out of your control. And I think like same with appearance, you know, we're just so quick to call a person beautiful or, you know, talk about their appearance first because it's the easiest thing. It's the thing that's right there that we Mm -hmm. can see. But that's not even, like she said, when you rank the list of things that you truly care about in a person, that's not it. It's who they are as a person. And it's, it's difficult to do, but the more we can tie our self-worth to, you know, the, the people we are, the efforts that we put in, um, you know, are we good people, our, our family, our relationships, like these things of true value, then the other things can't harm you, you know, failures can't harm you or appearance changing can't harm you. And it's, uh, like I said, way easier said than done. Um, but it's just Mm -hmm. a a super important, you know, conversation to have and, and reminder. I mean, you know, especially when we live in a very surface level world now with social media, it's like you, you get the best of the best, you get the best pictures and they are pictures and you barely, and like, that's all you get. Right. So obviously you're, you're not your job and you're not your appearance. You are who you are as a person. And that takes time and it takes conversation. And we just don't live in that type of world anymore. It's much more difficult to, to find out, you know, who a person is or, you know, anything about them. I saw a video recently actually that I thought was interesting. Like there's a lot of videos on TikTok that are super possible that are, that are super popular that are like, uh, he's a 10, but, uh, he's fucking blah, blah, blah. And they asked this woman, like he's a 10, but he doesn't have a job. And she was like, yeah, he's still a 10. Like I've been unemployed before. And like, it's right. fine. Like, you know, like it, it's, it's it's like we don't know what we're doing. Like, obviously, that's just content, and it's like people just trying to do a trend and, like, do whatever. But it's subconsciously, like, drilled into your brain when you do these videos to have, the like, maybe a quick answer or a funny answer or whatever. Like, we're expecting this woman to be like, oh, fuck that. He's a one. And that makes unemployed people feel a certain way or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like they feel bad about themselves, but this could be an actual good person who provides a lot of value to the world. That's just going through something and it doesn't have a job. Like, and once you get into that conversation, I feel like everyone's empathetic towards it, but we're not realizing that like on the surface level, doing that over and over again as a joke, quote unquote, is actually very damaging. And it's subconsciously fucking you up. Because it's making you believe that. It warps your your reality and it just, it gets rid of like the nuance, the complexity of any situation. It's like, it becomes black and white. Job, good. No job, bad. Without understanding any circumstances (laughs) or, you know, yeah, no, that's a really good example. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. And I, and I hope that people, you know, uh, you realize that, and I'm not saying that appearance isn't important at all or whatever. Like it is obviously a part of who you are, but it isn't who you are. <laughs> it is a part of it. Like even your jobs and the things that you've done in your life are only a part of your life. Like who you are as a person, like trumps all of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in a world where there is less focus on that, I feel like, you know, w- people should, uh, 
there should be some sort of campaign to go back to that, you know, or even if there was ever that, I don't even know. I don't even know. I'm not saying there was a time where people like cared about, like I'm not one of those people, but I'm just (laughs) saying like, you know, just try to think of that. If you can be conscious of it when meeting new people or, or seeing that people are in a difficult situation or they're dealing with something like you have to know that it's, you don't know everything. You don't know close to anything. You know, 1%, you see what you see and you're making things up in your head with the rest of it. Um, I feel like we got way off the beaten path here, but, uh, yeah, really appreciate her episode on, on the body dysmorphia because, you know, all the things that we're talking about, although they're in different sort of subcategories of this, I think it all leads back to the fact that like, you know, you, you have to love yourself before you can present yourself to the world and have them essentially tear you apart on social media, which is what will happen. Or you will end up doing that to yourself, which is upsetting, obviously, so there's a lot of, you know, just self-care and therapy that I think people like need to be aware of and to do um, to sort of avoid these types of things if they can. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, such a complicated I- issue and I, it goes, I, uh, yeah, it goes so deep, but it's it, like, it, yeah. I get what you're saying, which is awesome is like your foundation has to be strong. Like you're going to be exposed to people tearing you down, commenting, like if your foundation is strong, if you are happy with who you are, if your happiness isn't just tied to like outcome, success, appearance, like it just, it makes it easier to move through life. Like as simple as that. Um, but that, that takes a lot of work to to be that self-aware, but yeah, really, really great convo. And like I told her just so well-spoken, like just so, um, just refreshing to hear her, you know, take on all that and, and her journey. And it seems like the, um, positive place that she's in right now and the work that she's going to continue to do. Yeah. hundred percent. And, uh, for anyone out there that wants to be a guest on our show, uh, hit us up. Our email is oplpodcast at gmail.com and, uh, we'll hit you back. Yeah, follow us on Instagram, on TikTok, at OPL Podcast. Shout out to the patrons. You can head over to patreon.com slash OPL show. That is correct. Yes, slash OPL show. Uh, we have so many different handles, so it's, you know, know. They're, they're all different, but that's the one. And that is all for this week. Yep, see you guys next time. <laughs>